And now for something completely different. Ah! <laughs> Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. So good morning. Welcome to the uh, Thursday edition of The Real Investment Show as we uh, start moving through the mid-month of February. So, you know, already taking another half month off, heading into the end of a short month, by the way, February 28th, right around the corner. So uh, a couple of things this morning, lots of stuff happening um, kind of really overnight. Uh, news yesterday kind of gave the markets a little bit of support because it was expected that uh, Russia was withdrawing some troops from the border, of course, overnight now. Uh, we've got headlines coming out that no, that's not actually the case. There's actually 7,000 more troops around Ukraine. Um, so again, just depends on which side of the of, of the ocean that you're sitting on. Russia says, no, 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 we're, we're pulling troops back. The U.S. says, hey, no, there's more troops there. Um, that, of course, weighing on markets a bit this morning. Again, this whole kind of escalation of geopolitical risk is, you know, some, something certainly uh, concerning for financial markets. And again, this is something that, as we've talked about previously, there is a resolution to this. And the most likely resolution is, is that Russia really just does not want Ukraine as being part of NATO. So we'll find out what the ultimate ask is, right? This, this is all this comes down to. It's a lot of geopolitical posturing by major players. Russia really has no desire to, to invade the Ukraine, but they do want something. And the question is finding out what they want uh, to put things back to normal. And we'll get to that. Again, that's going to take a few days, few weeks. If we go back in history, as we talked about on Monday, these crises come and go. Markets do get roiled in the, in, the, in the short term because of these issues. And it's important not to overreact, right? Don't make big decisions in your portfolio based on headline news because this stuff is going to flip-flop back and forth now for, for the next you know, few weeks until we get something resolved in the situation. But ultimately, it's going to get resolved. It'll go away. And this will be just another one of those things that we'll look back in the past and go, man, I wish I wouldn't have made that decision with my investments because I went all in one direction betting on global geopolitical warfare. So, so just be careful when it comes to your money about making big decisions on headline risk. Headline risk come and go. And that has a totally different effect really on the overall market. Uh, other good news though, of course, this morning, CDC uh, Director Michelle Williams coming out saying, hey, we maybe get to the point now that we can stop needing to wear masks, right? We're going to give people a break from wearing masks. Now, this follows some recent studies that have come out from institutions talking about really the effectiveness of these masks um, outside of like the N95s, et cetera, which the respirator style masks, which are more effective. Cloth masks really don't stop the spread of, of, the, of the virus. And so it's kind of good news now that we're starting to get to the point We've seen cases come down. We're seeing a lot of better data. Now CDC Director Michelle Winsky coming out today saying, hey, we need to give people a break from wearing masks. Now, doesn't mean that we can't go back to wearing masks if we see, you know, a, a kick up in infections. But at least we're starting to ease some of these restrictions and try to get life back to normal. Really, that's, that's the thing. So when we get into economic growth and getting you know the economy on track we need to get people back to normal going to offices doing work and you know one thing about the work from home thing it sounds great right a lot of people like this idea of a hybrid office i'm going to work from home but there is an economic impact to that now think about this for a moment right if you're driving to the office every day to go to work 
right? You're spending gas, right? So that, that helps the, the retail sales at the gas station at the local corner where you fill up. Of course, generally when you fill up, you go in, you buy a couple of snacks to take with you to work in the morning, get your cup of coffee, right? So that's supporting those retail businesses. Then you go out to lunch to eat. That supports the restaurants. And so when you're doing that every day, that helps support economic growth in the economy. So getting people back out. Now, not even to mention that getting people back out to work into offices, right? This helps the commercial real estate market, right? All these companies that have all this commercial real estate, they as they bring, on, bring more employees back to work, they have to have more real estate, more offices. So again, the impact, the, the net impact to the economy of getting people back to work, into the office, doing these type of things is a positive. Now, we may not want to go back into the office. That's a different story, right? I, I like working from home. I don't want to go back to the office. I don't want to drive. Hey, I get that. All I'm saying is, is that a move away from these very restrictive environments, the, man, the mandates, the, the lockdowns, those type of things, got to get people back into the office. You got to get them producing because that's where they earn their paycheck, that's where they spend it, and you need to have a reason to spend it. So again, you know, moving people back into normalcy is actually good for economic growth. So, you know, those are so that's, you know, some good news as we're kind of heading in that direction. And if we're going to kind of get past this, uh, again, there's a, there's a lot of other factors that we're going to be dealing with. And one thing, you know, Michael Leibowitz will join me this morning. We'll talk about the FOMC minutes from yesterday. Um, they had some very interesting things to say about balance sheet reductions, the speed and pace of that and when it might start. Also about their aggressiveness of their rate hikes. So we'll talk a little bit about those minutes and what it means to the markets. But yesterday, one of the things that's going to help push the Fed on along here about uh, hiking rates and, and tapering their policy was retail sales. Retail sales out yesterday, very strong. We had a 3.8% growth rate in retail sales yesterday. Now that was the headline. Now, unfortunately, once you strip out the seasonal adjustment, retail sales were actually negative. But again, we don't look at that. We just look at the headline number. The headline number yesterday for retail sales, extremely strong. But again, this is, so there's two things to, to remember about retail sales. First of all, the nominal adjustment for retail sales yesterday was the largest on record. So this, this kind of just this mathematical adjustment of, of what we add in to, to sales for January was the largest ever on record. The second thing is to remember also is that infl the way we measure retail sales is we measure that in dollar volume. So in other words, when you go to the gas station and you fill up at the gas pump, you paid $40 to fill up your gas tank. Well, you used to spend $20 on your gas tank. Now, does your gas tank take more gas? Are you buying more gas than you were previously? No, you're just paying more for it because the gas tank is only 14 gallons, 16 gallons, whatever it is. So you're only buying the same amount of gas, you're just paying more for it. But since you pay more for the gasoline, that shows up in higher dollar volume of retail sales. So it looks like retail sales have gone up, but really you're just buying the same amount of stuff. And this is, this is because of inflation. We've got 7% inflation right now. So not surprisingly, you're seeing that push through to retail sales and you're seeing people pay more. I mean, uh, again, you know, go out to eat. What are you paying to go out to eat now, right? That's not cheap. <laughs> go out to the grocery store, pay more for groceries, pay more for gas, pay more for utilities. 
Um, the East Coast, Michael Leibowitz, is about to get blasted by a deep freeze in, in the, the Northeast, and this is going to cause more demand on utilities. Utility costs are going to go up. Nat gas prices are rising right now in anticipation of this freeze. So people are going to be spending more for gas because of this freeze, and that means they're not necessarily using more gas. They're just going to pay more for it. Again, so we have to really look at these economic data points for what they are rather than what just the headline says. And again, what the retail sales number were telling us yesterday is that really individuals aren't spending that much more. They're not buying more stuff. They're just paying a lot more for it. And that the problem with that, of course, is that real wages, what they have coming in in terms of their income, isn't rising as fast as inflation itself. So again, this is going to lead to a problem down the road as we start getting into the later part of this year. We're going to start seeing slower rates of economic growth, more deflationary pressures in the economy. And despite the fact that we saw this big surge in retail sales yesterday, we also saw a very, very large spike in inventories. And as we've talked about before, when supply meets demand, the problem will be is that we have too much supply now in the system. Demand will decline. That is deflationary in nature. But we're going to come back and talk a lot about this and more with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skip in our next free Retirement Right Lane class. Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Flying the plane this morning. <laughs> you know, we have presets, right? That we yeah, it's called depend it, it, on. Yeah, so that the, in a jet airliner, that's called autopilot. Yeah, well, the, auto, <laughs> the autopilot is crunk. <laughs> so the plane just crashed there temporarily, but you didn't see it. So <laughs> that's the important thing. The plane almost didn't get off the ground. <laughs> Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning. So yesterday we saw the release of the FOMC. This is the Federal Open Market Committee meeting minutes. Now, remember when the Federal Reserve has their meeting, then Jerome Powell comes out and has his little press conference where he stutters and bumbles and stumbles through questions from the public about why inflation really isn't as bad as it looks. And then a month later, we actually get the minutes from the meeting. Now, the minutes from the meeting aren't really, you know, what was actually said. These are very carefully crafted minutes that, you know, are, are released to the public. And but it does kind of get down into more of really kind of what was discussed at the meeting and kind of some of the thoughts. And so the meeting minutes yesterday really showed a much less hawkish stance by the Federal Reserve than what you know, people were expecting coming into March. 
Uh, of course, this was also the meeting before the recent inflation print that came in a bit hotter than expected. So, you know, we've got uh, a couple of things coming up here, but March is the next meeting for the Federal Reserve, and that is the expected launch point for hiking rates. Of course, the big debate right now is 25 basis points or 50 basis points. Uh, but also the runoff of the balance sheet, which is that liquidity um, that markets have been depending on for the last you know couple of years in particular to drive the markets up 120 percent from the from the March lows. So again, something to to consider. Something we'll talk about here with Michael Leibowitz. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Can I uh, actually backtrack you? Sure. Actually, back a little bit. You were talking about retail sales. Yeah. Prior to when I joined. Yep. Here's another. Here's another very important thing to think about with retail sales. You know, you talked about the inflation component and other components on why it was such a big number. Mm -hmm. What about stockpiling? So how many people are buying three rolls of toilet paper instead of one because they're concerned the price of toilet paper will be higher in a month when they go shopping again? Well, so, you, you know, no, that's a really good point. Um, and, and let me give you a real life example. So, you know, every week, you know, we buy our, our set of groceries that we buy for the week, right, in our household to feed all of our 5,000 kids and, and us. <laughs> Um, interestingly enough, um, so, you know, I, I eat a lot of brown rice and, and stuff in my diet and, and things like that. And so we buy these packages of rice at the store. It's sold out. We have not been able to get rice now for three weeks at, at our normal store. So it doesn't mean it's sold out everywhere. It's just at the store we shop at. It's been sold out. So if it comes into stock, we buy more of it because it may not right. be in stock next week. And so, yeah, to your point, people are, and not only are we paying more for the rice, coffee is outrageous. And I don't care how much that costs. I'm buying the coffee. So, you know, right now I think I'm paying equivalent to a Volkswagen Beetle to buy coffee at this point. But, but no, to your point, you know, we're paying more for groceries. And yes, we're also stocking up on some groceries that, or some, I shouldn't say groceries, but some items that have been spotty in terms of being able to get on a week-to-week -week basis. Right, right. So That's we're double stockpiling, yeah. right? We're double stockpiling. One, because we don't know if we'll be able to buy the goods in the future. And two, because we think the goods will be more expensive in the future. Right. Right. So, so what happens after you buy your three packs of toilet paper? You don't have to buy toilet paper for another three or four, or, you know, whatever it is, another few months. So what helps retail sales today hurts retail sales tomorrow. Right. And, you know, that's kind of the takeaway is that what you're going to see is some disjointed numbers in retail sales. You know, big gains followed by big losses, big gains, big losses. And so much of this data, how, you know, the holidays and all the adjustments they make for the mm -hmm. holidays and everything that's going on in the economy, the reopening, the normalization, the still not normalization <laughs> really means that you can't focus solely on just one monthly number. You really have to start looking at averages, three and six months averages and start looking at trends and how are they changing? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, that's a little different from what we're used to. You know, we're used to kind of focusing on a number, comparing it to prior numbers and saying, okay, it's getting better, it's getting worse. Now we're really kind of have to take averages of months and do this, do something similar. Right, no, that's, a, that, that's right. 
And, you know, we just saw, for instance, you know, just and you actually noted this in our daily market commentary this morning, which is, you know, December was a negative two and a half percent. Then you have this whopping, you know, four percent growth in retail sales and and January. A lot of that, in fact, almost in the entirety of that four and a half percent increase was a seasonal adjustment. But again, to your point, it's just these numbers are kind of all over the place. And so there's not really a trend to work off of saying, oh, you know, retail sales are trending higher. Um, you know, as you said, as you stated, you know, a lot of this, a lot of anomalies. We pulled forward a bunch of sales going into Christmas, and now we've got all these seasonal adjustments. We had inflation. It's it's hard to really determine what's happening, you know, economically. But you know, it was interesting though because, you know, when you read the media headlines, they don't really look at it this way. I, I was just, uh, you know, Brent put on my screen this morning: inflation everywhere, but depressed public shops through it. Um, you know, if you take a look at consumer confidence, consumer confidence has been dropping sharply because of inflation, right? That's been the one key driver of the drop in consumer confidence has been higher inflation. So they're saying, well, even though the consumer is depressed because of rising inflation, they're just they're just buying more stuff. And that's not really a correct byline because it's they're not buying more stuff. They're depressed because they're paying a lot more for the same amount of stuff if they can even get it. That's right. Right. I mean, we've seen this, the University of Michigan, the uh, a bunch of consumer sentiment numbers are failing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're below, well below the lows of March 2020. Right. How can your sentiment get much worse than that when you're stuck <laughs> inside watching Ti- uh, Tiger King? Right. <laughs> and that's that's your life. Right. Uh, but a sentiment is worse than that. And you got to go back over 10 years to find a similar sentiment level that was coming out of the 2008 nine financial crisis and i think it was 2011. uh so consumers are upset right and this this leads to a bigger picture inflation is problematic for politicians right which makes it problematic for the fed and this is why we're seeing the fed change their tone finally about inflation right and you know we kind of let off with talking about the minutes and then we got diverted to retail sales (laughs) But the minutes, one thing when we look at the minutes, right, they come out about three weeks after the meeting. So they do the meeting, they release a statement that's kind of generic. Mm-hmm. They change a few words from the prior statement. And then Powell usually is very enlightening and he talks about what he sees and what he expects and he answers questions, right? So the minutes come out three weeks later and uh, they're much more detailed. But what we look for are trends. So how did the minutes change from what Powell told us and what the statement told us three weeks ago? Were they more hawkish? Were they less hawkish? Mm -hmm. And that gives you a feel for how the Fed is leaning. And there were some pretty strong statements. You know, in today's uh, commentary that comes out in about an hour, we we picked up on three of what we thought were three of the biggest statements. Uh, One of them was that they're going to do some significant, in their words, significant reduction in the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And at a pace greater than what they did in 2018, 2019. And, you know, that that the language they're using around it in the minutes that came out yesterday was pretty bold. Uh, They also talk about asset valuations being very extended. You know, they're looking at the forward P.E. and saying it's basically at extreme levels. And they also look at credit, you know, at corporate credit. They're looking at house prices to rent. They're looking at a lot of asset ratio, at, at a lot of asset valuations, right? It's not just the stock market. It's it's what they're what they're kind of telling you, and they'll never use the word is that there's a bubble in many asset prices. Mm-hmm. 
And then the third one, and I thought this was uh, a little bit out of left field. They talk about cryptocurrency and how the risks associated with it are increasing. Um, well, so and, and that's not surprising. Look, we've talked about for a long time is that, you know, cryptocurrency is all fine and dandy until it starts to impact or affect the economy. Currency is a national security issue, period. Um, this is why you can't print dollars in your basement, because, <laughs> you know, you can disrupt an entire economy over over currency. And, you know, maintaining control and flow of currency and transactions is crucially important to the national security of the United States, as well as the economy. So it's only a function of time until the government gets involved. When, when Bitcoin and cryptocurrency becomes a threat, it will get regulated. It's just a function of time until we get there. there no government is going to allow a non-regulated currency to exist for very long. Right. And I think that's what the Fed's trying to do here. Right. right? They, they put themselves in charge of financial stability. Mm -hmm. And what they're saying is that crypto is now a player in a financial stability game. Correct. Right. They, they said that the vulnerabilities associated with that have gone from notable to moderate. Right. Right. And, and I, you know what? There is some truth to that. Right. If crypto sell off drastically, you see a high correlation with the Nasdaq. Is the Nasdaq driving crypto? Is crypto driving a Nasdaq? It's you just, know. but it's, it's, you know, what they are, though, is that it is a measure of speculation of risk, right? Right. Uh, or, or risk speculation, to say, and, and, and because they are correlated. And when you see the market sell off, crypto typically sells off, too. When markets are rallying, you see crypto rallying. And so it's become a de facto, almost a de facto volatility index, right? So, I mean, there's right. a, you know, as we see speculation increase, people speculate on risky assets. But, you know, it doesn't mean that there's not a place for it in the environment. It's just at some point, oh, my, whole, my whole point is that at some point it will be regulated. And there's been lots of talk about this lately from both the SEC as well as legal entities talking about the need to regulate cryptocurrencies if it's going to be used for transactional basis. So quick break. We'll come back. Um Shifting gears a bit to talk a little bit about managing money in this type of environment. Lots of volatility lately, ups and downs. And if you're a do-it-yourself investor, you know, how do you how do you start thinking about managing money in an unknown environment? Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free Retirement Right Lane class, Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare, and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, Fed, interest rates, inflation, all this stuff has certainly been weighing on the markets so far this year. Lots of volatility. Markets have, you know, retested the lows from October. Um, lots of concern lately about 
you know, we've been getting a lot of emails, but, you know, is, is the market about to crash? You know, why am I invested in stocks when, you know, it's apparent that the world's coming to an end, geopolitical crisis, um, you know, whatever. You know, and, and certainly lots of concern. Um, and the markets have had a huge run since March of 2020. And the problem is now is now trying to navigate whether this is just a top and if this is a top in the market and we're due for a bigger correction or if it's just a consolidation process that we may be stuck in for a few months and then the market takes off again on its next bull leg. Right. So, you know, there's certainly a lot of things to consider. And if you're trying to, you know, manage your own money, it becomes even more difficult to do the work. You know, it's interesting. There was a interesting uh, survey out this morning and it showed the average amount of time that people spend researching purchases. Right. So, for instance, you know, if um, people spend 72 percent more time searching out electronics online, in other words, doing all the comparative research, they spend about 43 percent of their time when they're looking for apparel and accessories. Right. Doing shopping comparisons is am I getting one thing better at a better price over here? I like this item. Let me go do all the reviews on it. When it comes to stock investing, people don't spend any time at all. <laughs> they just buy an ETF because the market's going up or they buy some stock on television because somebody told them that, you know, it's a good stock or they took a tip from a friend. But people spend very little time actually doing the homework required to invest in the financial markets. And then they're they're surprised when something goes horribly wrong. <laughs> right. And, and, and you buy a stock like a Peloton or a Shopify and can't understand why this company that was touted to be the next coming of the uh, of the Messiah has now gone from four hundred dollars to a hundred, and you're trying to figure out how you lost so much money in it. But this is the problem, and, and so managing money on your own is always very difficult, particularly when you get into a very unknown environment like we're in now. Again, Fed's going to hike interest rates. You've got the Fed tightening their balance sheet later on this year. Well, they're going to tighten their balance sheet up front, but then they're going to start reducing it later on this year potentially. So lots of headwind risk that we didn't have last year. Last couple of years was really easy. You had $5 trillion in liquidity, $120 billion a month in QE, and zero interest rates. You bought anything, it went up. We were all a genius in that market. It's going to be a very different environment over the course of the next year. But again, you know, make, and we talked about this yesterday, making a one-sided bet on anything um, is likely going to leave you on the wrong side of the, of the trade. And this is going to be the big challenge. It certainly seems like right now the best thing to do is just be all in gold and bullets and beanie weenies, and you'll be fine. The problem is, is what happens if this market takes off? That's going to be the real question. Mike, your thoughts? Right, right. Where This, this market is much more difficult. And, and going back to your example with retail, how we spend so much time looking at clothes and electronic goods, mm -hmm. we also spend so much time trying to get the best price on those. Right. We wait for them to go on sale. You know, uh, 20, 30, 40% off sale and we jump at it. When stocks go on sale, when they're down 20, 30, 40%, everyone sells, right? They're doing <laughs> right. the opposite. They're, they're scared to death. When stocks are overpriced, I mean, you can make an argument now they're overpriced by 40, 50%. Mm -hmm. People can't buy enough of them. It's such a perverse behavior, right? We don't do the research. We buy at the hot, we want to buy. The higher the price, the more enticing it is. So I think, you know, as you think about managing money, you have to separate out those odd biases that investors have and try to get those same biases that you have as a consumer of goods. 
right? Look for things that make sense. Think about the environment that you're going into. Try to make sense of everything. Don't necessarily follow the herd, right? But, uh, you know, and I think as we look ahead, Lance, what you said is so important. The environment is changing, right? And we have to understand that. Doesn't mean, you know, like you said, we have to be in all gold and ammo, but it, it does mean that we have to spend a lot more time thinking about what we own, where we will sell what we own if something happens. So, so putting on risk levels, risk mm -hmm. management levels, what does it take for us to say, you know what, we were wrong, we're gonna sell this. Uh, conversely, what does it to say, take to say, you know what, we were wrong, we're gonna buy more stocks because this is happening or that is mm -hmm. happening. And, you know, we're, last year was uh, the fundamentals were just so much in your favor. This year, the fundamentals are tougher. So our technical analysis becomes very important. When are we breaking through levels that are warnings, that, you know, both up and down, breaking above levels that say, you know what, we need to buy. We're on buy signals across the board. And I get that the Fed's raising, uh, raising rates and doing QT and they're very hawkish, but technical indicators are saying the market's gonna go higher. Mm -hmm. But you know, I think what's a little harder this year than last year is that you gotta be a little quicker. You can't, the benefit of the doubt is a little bit, is not as easy as it was last year, right? Because of the Fed, because of the liquidity. Well, so, and again, you know, and I think there's a, another thing that we really have to focus on, you know, psychology wise in, in this environment. So let's let's go back to talking just for a second about buying things on sale, because this is the you know, this is the thing we're always told. Right. So this is the very basic investing lesson. Buy low, sell high. Right. Seems pretty obvious. Right. That's what we want to do. If we buy something cheap and we sell it expensive, we make money. But to your point, And, you know, this is the thing that we we don't do. And. And there's a couple of reasons we don't do this. One, when things are on sale, we immediately assume they're just going to keep going lower. So I don't want to buy it. And it doesn't matter what the fundamentals are. But the other problem comes into the fact that we've now turned, you know, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s, back in the day, <laughs> you know, um, people bought stocks and the average holding period for stock was between six and eight years. And so they would buy shares of General Electric and they didn't really worry about it. And when earnings were announced, it took three or four days before the earnings actually kind of filtered through everything and got to the Wall Street Journal and got to your doorstep. And you read the Wall Street Journal and say, oh, General Electric came in and they reported earnings as a penny less than expected. Nobody really cared at that point as a penny, right? So, you know, but today, because of this immediacy of information and because we're so driven to every little tick of every little uh, movement in the stock price, um, you know, we're seeing these these massive swings in stock prices based on a, a penny miss in estimates. Uh, you know, a good example we were talking about yesterday, Viacom um, actually had very strong rev, uh, uh, subscriber growth for their business. You know, but their earnings weren't as good as expected, and the stock was down almost 20%. And this is a stock that trades very fundamentally cheap relative to their peers like Netflix and others. But it just goes to show you, in fact, this whole season, companies that Mike and I were talking about this yesterday, and I found a chart this morning, I put it out on Twitter. The we looked at, we were Mike and I were discussing the fact that this earnings season in particular. We've seen stocks get hit very hard for missing earnings by just a fraction or just even having you know, they may have met earnings, but just had weak guidance and it had big declines in the stock price, 10, 15, 20 percent. 
In fact, this season is the largest on record for the median decline of a stock that missed earnings. And so we're having these very outsized moves, but we immediately assume that because something is now cheap that we don't want to own it because it's going to keep going down. And the, the, the problem about this is that we're so tuned now to having to beat the index. If you bought a, a basket of stocks that were truly undervalued and were willing to hold them long term, you will make money in them. You'll make a lot of money but you're going to underperform the index for a period of time. It could be a year, could be two years you underperform the index, could be three years. But truly investing in value will make you long-term. Unfortunately, Mike and I, since we manage money for clients who have, you know, a bias towards, you know, pacing markets, et cetera, we don't have that ability to run a true fundamental value fund. This is why we have to have a technical overlay with our portfolios and why we have to manage risk as we do. But if Mike and I had our had our dithers, we would be buying deep discounted value stocks and we'd just sit on them, collect the dividend and wait, because eventually those value stocks are going to make a lot of money for investors. But just investors in general don't have the patience to wait for it. So this is what Mike was talking about a second ago with technicals is that we have to blend this value basis of buying cheap with technical analysis so that we can better navigate markets as 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 they are and and this is and so when we come back from the break i want to talk a little bit about and let's just use viacom as an example because you know here's a value stock totally beaten up how do you go about buying something like that how would you position it in your portfolio how do you size that risk in your in your portfolio if you're going to make a bet on it and then where do you actually kind of navigate being wrong. At what point do you say, hey, you know what? My thesis was wrong. How do I get out of it? Or my thesis was right. How do I buy more of it? So when Mike and I come back from the break, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into this um, because, again, it's psychology that's so important. That, you know, Really, when it comes down to investing and navigating and managing a portfolio and, and running your own money and doing it yourself, uh, Ben Graham once said that the biggest problem for investors is ultimately like to be investors, the investor himself. In other words, your own psychology. And the biggest mistake we make as investors, as individuals, is not really what we buy. It's generally when we buy it and when we sell it. And that is generally all emotionally driven. We tend to buy the peaks. We tend to sell the valleys when it should be exactly the opposite of what we're doing. We'll come back. We'll talk about Viacom as an example um, and talk about if you were going to buy that position, as a fundamental investment, how would you do it? How would you size it in your portfolio? How would you put it in there? How would you monitor it? We'll kind of get through a, a kind of a case study of buying a stock in a portfolio so maybe you can apply that kind of principle to the rest of your own money. Be right back after the break.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free retirement right lane class. Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Second. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show this morning. Uh, Michael Lee was joining me. So um, just for the break, just talking a little bit about, um, you know, how to size and build a position in your portfolio. This is one of the questions that we get, you know, very often from investors because, you know, we talk a lot about risk management on the show. Why do we manage risk and how do you do it? And you know, if you're trying to manage your own money, this is why we, uh, Mike and I created SimpleVisor.com uh, because it basically takes a lot of our research that we do and we apply it for you so you can just have access to, to a lot of the tools that we use um, in terms of evaluating stocks. You can do stock screens based on our technical and fundamental ratings. You can look at our technical analysis for individual stocks. So there's a lot of really great information there to help you do kind of your own homework. And as we talked about before, people really don't do a lot of their homework, but at simplevisor.com, you can try it out free for 30 days, see if you like it. But there's a lot of our tools that are already there uh, to help you kind of navigate some of these things. But what we said is we want to talk a little bit about Viacom just as an example. So here's a stock that currently trades at a PE of, of seven, uh, basically a four PE of eight. And you know, has about a three and a quarter percent dividend yield. Now, this stock was absolutely crushed in the latest kind of earnings announcement and was was trading around $36 a share. It's currently trading around 30. So big decline in the stock price. But if you take a look at the fundamental values, price to sales ratio, price to earnings, price to fundamental values of, of various types, you know, it, this is a stock that is clearly a undervalued company. But if you've owned it for a while, and, and I've got a chart here by Mike's face. <laughs> so if you've owned it, it's just been losing money. And you're like, well, yeah, but I'm still collecting the dividend. Be careful with that, right? You're getting a three and a quarter percent dividend yield if you buy it today. But this stock is down 50% from the peak. So if you tried to own it for the dividend, you've lost 50% of your money. But yeah, you're still collecting a dividend. But that's just the, the dollars it pays out in terms of per share dividend versus its price. So if you lose 50% of your money and, and getting a three and a quarter percent dividend yield, it's not really, you know, worth it. So never buy a stock just for the dividend. The dividend is always kind of that third leg of a total portfolio return. You have income from your bonds, you've got capital gains from your stocks, and you have dividends from your stocks. Those are your three parts of your total return of your portfolio. So never buy stock solely for the dividend. 
because value do, because price does, does is important. But if you take a look here, and I said, okay, look, stock's been beaten up. I want to add it to the portfolio. I want to start buying it. How much of it do you buy? Well, this is where Mike and I talk a lot about risk sizing. Risk sizing is very important. Think about it the same way as betting at a poker table. If you have a, mm, a pair of twos, do you bet all in, right? Or do you bet small and maybe try to see if you can, uh, you know, catch a couple of cards from the river or whatever it is, and, and if you're playing Texas Hold'em, and, you know, build a better hand and bet more in the future. So it's always about managing that risk of the bet you're making at the time that, that you make that bet. Right, Mike? And it's, again, technical analysis. What is technical analysis really at its core? It's measuring the psychology of buyers and sellers of that stock, right? That's what support and resistance and so many of these different patterns are trying to show. Are, buyer, are holders buying more on dips? Are sellers getting more aggressive? And so when we, you know, you look at the fundamentals, it's a cheap company, but what are the people, what are the people that own it doing? Does it continue to hit lower lows or is it hitting higher highs? And as you talk about sizing it, you know, whether you have a pair of twos or a pair of kings, mm -hmm. you, you, you kind of start laying your bet and there's nothing that says you have to buy it. You know, it, it's 20, you know, it's 20% off sale today versus where it was a day ago. That may seem great, but like most sales, it could be 40% a week from now. So, you know, if you buy it today and you got a 20% off, save some money. You might be able to buy it 30% off tomorrow and leg into the trade. Get a feel for how it trades. Find, wait for support, right. right? Just because it fell 20% doesn't mean the bottom's in, right? Here's the other thing, Lance. Go back to mid-December and we're, we're back to those same levels. So all it's done is a round trip over about two months. Mm -hmm. It's like gone up and it's gone down. And by the way, in mid-December, Viacom, AT&T, Verizon were all the rage. Those companies had a very good end of the year. They did really well. And people couldn't buy enough of them. Now, they just told you that they, they added more streaming clients than Netflix. They're the second biggest. They had, they had the second biggest ad behind uh, mm -hmm. Disney. And... And their revenue increased sharply. No one wants them. They're on sale. Their earnings were poor. There are reasons for that. But, you know, so, so it's we always have to juggle the technical. And again, let's not call it technical analysis. Let's just call it the psychology of the market. What are buyers thinking? What are sellers thinking? Where do they where what levels are important to them? Right. Is there a level where all the sellers just keep coming out? that's a meaningful level. And that usually happens around where they buy it, right? When they start losing money, that's where the sellers start coming out. When they start making money, they tend to buy more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to juggle. Yes, it's it's cheap, right? That doesn't mean it's a value well, stock per se. And, and let's go back to sizing because that was the, the point of this conversation is talking about sizing a position. So first thing is when you're buying any position in your portfolio, you always want to make sure that you don't over concentrate your portfolio in one position. So kind of a rule of thumb is to never have a position or portfolio more than 5% of the total. And the reason for that is, of course, if that if that company wakes up tomorrow and it's an Enron and goes to zero, you're going to lose 5% of your portfolio, but it won't cripple you to the point that you can't recover financially. If you've got 20 or 30% of your portfolio in a stock and that stock goes to zero overnight, which happens, it does happen in history. 
that you don't completely destroy your financial capability of retiring down the road. So always size your position. Never overplant any position in your portfolio on a huge bet that you are, you know, you're convinced you're going to win. Because when you're convinced to that type of degree that you're going to win, probably something's going to go wrong. Um, so if you're going to if you're going to own five percent of uh, Viacom in your portfolio or three or four percent, whatever that number is for you, wherever you feel comfortable, like Mike said, it's down 20 percent. Buy one percent of your portfolio into Viacom. See how it goes. If the stock starts to recover, you can add one percent to it. If it breaks technical lows, so the 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 kind of the critical stop points. If you take a look at the chart, is those lows going back to December? That's the lowest level the stock's been at in years. So I use those lows as a stop. If I break those stop levels, then I close out my one percent position. You know what? It's just I, it was the wrong time to buy it. There's more sellers than there are buyers right now. The stock's going lower for whatever reason. So step out of it. If in four or five days or four or five weeks that stock bottoms and starts to form a, a more significant bottom, and, and if you kind of go back to December, so this is a good example. Things don't always work out the way you want. If you go back, look at December, the stock was bottoming, had a very nice double bottom, and then it took off, started rising, and you go, okay, well, look, stock's starting to recover, so you buy 1% of it, and it's actually doing fine until January, then it falls all apart again and goes right back to where it was. Right now, it hasn't violated those lows, so there's no reason to sell, sell your 1% position. But if we do break those lows, which are now very important because we're retesting those lows going back to December, if we break those, now I need to step out of the position, wait, and look for the next bottom. If you start to buy in your 1% position and the stock starts to go up, then you add to that position. And you keep adding to it until you ultimately get to your 5% position. No, you're not going to buy the exact bottom, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to ensure that you've got a rising trend of prices over time so that you're more confident that you've made the right decision. And again, this is all about you know letting the market tell you that your thesis is correct. We have a thesis on Viacom, as an example. We think that fundamentally it's a great stock and that it should go higher over time. That's our thesis. Now the market has to prove that our thesis was correct. There's another thing to think about here, too. You, and then we guarantee this, you will always be the last to know about what's going on with Viacom. There are much larger investors that know things about Viacom that you will not know until they're made public. So when you see selling in a stock that appears to be value, there are likely people in the know of something. Right. Whatever that news or potential piece of data may be. So don't assume that just because the stock's being up and it's trading at value that it can't get more being up. There are things you don't know that the big dogs on Wall Street do know. Right. That the big institutional mutual funds and investors do know. So that's why following the, the price and and setting risk limits is so vitally important to protect against what you don't know. And look, we all don't know a lot of things about Viacom here. We know what we know is what the world knows. So our knowledge is public knowledge. But what we don't know are things that some investors do know. And that's where you can see it in the trend, because they tend to be the marginal buyers that can dictate price. Yeah. And, and this is important. So, uh, you know, for instance, you know, talking about the technicals, because that does you know, hold up. And this is this is gonna be part of the confusing part as well is that when when the stock is really beaten up and it's the time to buy it, the technicals are gonna look terrible. 
so you know part of this is also being able to judge the differential between terrible technicals that are beginning to improve versus just looking at technicals and go oh this is a horrible stock technically it looks terrible what you're looking for is the basis of those technicals beginning to change for the positive look it's not an easy thing and this is why managing your own money is always very difficult but again, at SimpleVisor.com, we've provided a lot of those tools to try to help you out to manage your money better. But we're going to start using this as kind of a, 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 a series of, of talks on the show. It's about how to manage your own money better, how to do take a better control over doing it yourself, investing, um, and just you know letting you have some access to the experience that Mike and I have had, and really, honestly, the mistakes that we've made <laughs> over time about managing money. So I hope you help. I hope that helps. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any questions, get by the website. Send your questions, comments, and emails, realinvestmentadvice.com. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for Fitness, Financial Fitness Friday.